Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. And with us today, we have Mike Scrutton, who is the Director of Print Technology and Strategy over at Adobe and calling from San Francisco, I think, today. It's sunny in San Francisco. It's always sunny in San Francisco, (laughs) apart from when it's foggy. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for making the time. I know you're so, so busy all of the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Debbie, anytime. That's great. Well, it's been a big year. There's been a lot going on. It has been so busy. Um, we're living at a time where there's so much talk and uh, and chatter in the technology industry. Technology is now hip and cool, and, and so many people uh, are talking about it and covering it. And it's interesting to see how how the advances uh, in the tech sector are spilling into um, the design and the creation and manufacturing this year. So it's it's a good time to be uh, in tech. Definitely. We are gradually sewing it, sewing it all together. Oh, you sound like you've said that before. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> no, I tried really hard to actually get that sentence together <laughs> and well say done. it properly. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, let's go. Let's dive straight in then, because I know you're so busy. So I'd like to really discuss the latest developments and the implications of AI and machine learning. And it's been a big year for AI, hasn't it? So what are the implications for the design and for the print community and just the whole workflow in the space at large, really? It's strange, Debbie. I mean, we've been used. So there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind, one of which Mm. is we've been using technology uh, in the print and in the manufacturing business for centuries, I would mm-hmm. argue. Um, when Gutenberg came across along with his printing press and started printing Bibles, you know, it was transformative in terms of the impact that had for distribution of of Bibles all across Western Europe um, and arguably the rest of the world. And so these technology inflection points come along every so often. Um, AI and machine learning is nothing new, right? It wasn't invented in 2023. Mm. Um, when I was at college in the early 90s, one of my colleagues had a project which was based on AI, and it goes further back than the early 90s, of course, to um, Alan Turing and the work that he was doing in, in the 1940s even. So, so the concept of AI is nothing new. Um, in many ways, it's just a way of a um, a system which is – teaching itself or learning something or or doing some processing arguably by itself mm-hmm. but i would actually even question that you know, to some extent um obviously what we've seen in the last 12 24 months is the emergence of chat gpt which has got a lot of press um the idea where you can ask something a question and it will give you back an answer um we've seen that applied to the world of of design so there are tools out there where you can ask for a type of image and rather than just searching for tags in an image uh that might be in a big database and showing you something based on a on a lookup of a tag you know the here are all the chairs here are all the tables here are all the cats here are all the dogs just giving you something which is a cat you know you can ask it questions um and AI can generate images based on prompts. That's basically how it works. Um, but again, it's 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 an evolution of where we've been in the past. Um, AI has been used in the cataloging of images for many years. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's not new. I mean, as photographers or artists, you know, we're great at taking photos, um, but putting them, um, assigning a tag to all of them. I mean, I, we take hundreds of maybe thousands of photos a year in our family, but we don't always go f- through and index them so we can find them well later, right? Yeah, but AI has been used for many, for several years to allow people to go and find that photograph of, you know, I can ask my phone to find a picture of my daughter uh, in Bangor, for example, mm-hmm. and it will find a photo of her in Bangor. I never said where I was uh, or where she was, or I can ask for, even ask for pictures of her on a sunny day or a cloudy day. Um, and AI has been capable of doing that sort of level of indexing for some time. I think what's interesting in the creative space um, is that we're now able to ask for a, for a very specific type of picture and maybe have AI generate it for us. But we have to know what to ask for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to construct a request to ask for something, much in the same way as if I had an artist here and I would need to try, try and ask them to draw something, I'd have to be quite precise about what i wanted um but further than that what i think is more exciting about some of these advances is the idea of how they blend with us the designer and how we can use our content and have tasks which would be very time consuming uh done quicker so a a picture of somebody standing in front of a blank wall, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I want to take that blank wall out of um uh out of the image and I want to put them in front of uh a house or a landscape or you know, I want to put them in a bar because I'm sort of organizing I'm doing a um I want to composite this into some other sort of image. You know, we've used green screen technology for this type of thing in the past, right? Uh-huh. But the but the act of not needing to do everything in front of a green screen and finally selecting an object so we can extract it from one image and put it into another image, that's where we've seen AI and ML be very, very helpful. Um, and... Uh, reducing the amount of effort that uh, that a an operator might need to do, they could go and select every single pixel in an image to extract somebody from any background, you know, instead of extracting them from a, from a green screen. Uh-huh. Um, but AI kind of makes that sort of thing easy. So you've basically just saved that artist a whole chunk of work. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of thing is really really exciting. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Actually, I think it's just it just gives the designer. A much bigger toolbox and much more time. Right. Yeah, it's not something to be threatened about at all, really. It's just, it just aids creativity. And like you say, takes all the mundane tasks out. You know, like, as you say, cutting images out, it can, you know, it takes, it can take hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. So it's a fantastic tool. But I think what we've done is we've liberated folks and and allowed them to do other things with that time. Right. Be more creative. We, We put more and more pressure on designers these days to design for all sorts of different applications, different aspect ratios, uh, because we want to put this design on this product or that product, um, different sizes. And and instead of having to do all those things and having them take up so much time, um, anything that we can do to reduce the amount of effort that they're having to exert is a good thing. Yeah. And I guess as well, we're also encouraging kind of um, 
anybody B2C consumers to be creatives as well using AI, aren't we? For allowing them to have access to imagery and make up something that they want, personalize it, customize it, but with without having to lose, without having to learn and to be a master at every single part of a, of a program, I guess. Yeah, simplifying this, it. it. It totally. And I, you could think of there's a very big market here in the United States, sometimes to some extent in Europe, of. Um, People send cards at the, at the winter holidays, all right? Christmas cards, New Year cards, seasonal cards. Mm-hmm. And um, traditionally, you know, you take some photographs that you've taken through through the year or maybe you, you go to the shopping mall and you get um, your kids on Santa's lap and you compose um, that those photos that you've taken into some sort of nice background, some template, you get some font over the top. Um, you might not be a designer, you probably wouldn't go and pay somebody, you know, $200 to take your photos and design a card for you. But you can do this yourself now. And you can send a very pleasing card to your, you know, hundreds of friends and relations. Um, And and it's affordable and everybody can do this. And it's sustaining an industry of uh, companies that are doing web to print, you know, e-commerce, providing these services, um, which otherwise you know, wouldn't exist. Um, mm. You know, anybody can be a creator and can create something personalized these days. And that's, I think, is another trend that we're seeing as well, is that the design process is becoming more democratized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are there are companies that create very, very complex and very, very good design tools, um, my employer being one of them. Um, <laughs> but not everybody has... Um, has the time or the training or the skill set uh, or the desire to um, to work with some of those tools. Sometimes you just need to do something quick, right? Uh, yeah. And so there are other tools that exist um, that, that make those sorts of things easy. AI could be part of those things. Um, Absolutely. And I guess it's application within the generation, the, the, the generation of apps as well, really. So it's helping the print community to bolt together third-party fulfillment so it's but direct to consumer or it can be b2b but you can use the technology in between to integrate it all together really which kind of leads on to our next question mm. talking about seamless design production and and the digital twin really being able to pull that that creative visual from the very beginning to the very end mm. what are your thoughts there mike this is a ex- really exciting area, I think. Yeah. And, it, and it ties back into what you said about being a, wanting to do manufacturing on, on demand and manufacturing in small volumes. Um, and you and I have said this in previous conversations as well. Um, if, you, if you're ordering something in very small volumes, uh, then you don't have the luxury of um, sampling, you know, uh, of, of getting a few made and then before you do your volume. If you're only ever going to be ordering 10 of something, mm-hmm. um, you probably won't order one and then go back and order the other nine. You might, um, but it, it's it's le- much less likely. So it's all about setting the right expectations of the customer when they place their order. You, can't, you don't want to have 10 returns of something which has been ordered in small volumes because you can't sell it to somebody else. You know, yeah. if I put my my... My my dog on a t-shirt 
for its birthday party and I'm going to give it to my <laughs> to my guests um I can't if I don't like the print or it doesn't fit the t-shirt doesn't fit I can't return it to the manufacturer and ask for a refund because they can't put that sell that t-shirt to anybody else um so you've basically what that basically means is you've got to set the right expectation in yeah. an e-commerce setting and show somebody on the screen what they're going to order so that they're confident about what it is they're going to receive and be delighted by it. Right? Yeah. That's basically what it comes down to. You know, in the same way as when I buy a an iPhone on a website, I, I see, I understand what the, what the iPhone's going to look like. And when that iPhone arrives, I know what I'm getting, right? There's no mm-hmm. doubt of what I, what I was buying. In a case where we're ordering stuff in small volumes, I'm having to use my imagination a lot more. So the better a representation on screen I can be shown of my product, yep. um, the better, the more likely I'm going to be satisfied with what's delivered. Something really, really simple. Um, let's say I've ordered, I want my design to be printed on a, and I'll use a non-textile example, but on a mug, all right? Yeah. I've I've got a rectangle which I'm going to wrap around a mug. Now, in reality, um, we all know that that mugs are, are round; they have a curved surface. You can't see the entirety of that rectangle at all times. So, if I'm seeing a digital twin of a mug on the screen, then um, I want to see the curvature of that product mm-hmm. and how my design relates to that. The fact that I won't see the far left hand end at the same as as the far right hand end, right? Um, if I show somebody, if I just take a picture of a mug uh, and then I take a square uh, picture of a design and just put drop one on top of the other, that's not a good representation of what my final mug will look like because I'm not showing the curvature of the mug. Right. Yes. So, so the digital twin that can be generated online in an e-commerce setting, where you see that object, that design wrapped around the object, makes total sense. All right. Bring that through into the textile community. Bring it through into the apparel industry. You know, when I'm showing uh, my design on a t-shirt or on a dress or somewhere else, then you know I probably care about where the where the um, my design might fall relative to, you know, the shoulder blades on a shirt, or yeah. um, you know, I want to know that it's going to come across, uh, you know, the yoke of the garment rather than halfway down the back, right? Mm-hmm. Or on the front of a garment, I might have, I might have a, you know, there might be particular parts of the body where I want these things to appear and not in others. Um, you know, this was yeah. meant to be a, especially um, yeah, in the team and sportswear industries. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, so the closer you can get to showing what this thing will look like when it's manufactured, the much more likely we are to satisfy the customer and not have to deal with returns. We've taken this to some extent um, in some concept places even further, where you can conceptually, rather than seeing your design on a model with perfect physique. Yep. Um, people have suggested, well, maybe you get a scan of yourself and you can see how you would look in this garment. Um, personally, I'm not sure that we've seen much success in that area. I think mainly because but, but you know, it's, like I, a bit, it's a bit too real. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, in in you know, um, because this is a podcast, you know, I can describe myself as having you know uh, 
toned abs and a six pack on my chest and I'm <laughs> fit. Uh, and that's how I imagine myself when I'm ordering my clothing. The reality is somewhat disappointing. Um, you know, for a man in his middle age, uh, I don't look that good. And it is a big problem with custom fit, though, isn't it? Right, right. Yeah. But showing me that I'm not going to look good is mm. um, not always a good thing. Yeah. Um, but there are certain, I mean, I'm not saying it's completely a, necessarily a bad thing because, you know, there's plenty of things in a changing room. I'll, I'll, I might try something on and say, oh, I look bad at that. And if I'm ordering online, maybe that reality check would be healthy for me rather than and save the number of returns I have. But the reality is, is that I'm probably less likely to make a purchase if it's if it's actually me in the picture. Absolutely. And I think there's also a lot of work going on in the background there was, um, with, an, with you know, many, many companies really where they are developing systems who you become an avatar. So they take you, you become an avatar and then they take your avatar shopping. And with a virtual style assistant, they actually, you know, you can actually wear that garment in the right size with the color that sits your skin, suits your skin tone, your hair color, and everything right. else. And, you know, and, and and it kind of comes down to we could do a lot, but style is style, and it, it, this filters straight back to design as well. You know, you, you can use AI to generate designs. It doesn't mean they're going to be great designs. You're going to generate a totally. lot of them. You've got totally. to have talent. You've got to have style, and I think that's where. The speed with which we're generating things actually empowers the creative community now to actually to to be curated and to create great products for people. And I think the designers get brought into that curation as well. I mean, one of the yes, things that, where I've seen AI being used is, um, well, the AI model creates three different versions of a design. Mm-hmm. Now it's for the human to, who gave the yes. prompt to say, well, which one of this do you prefer, right? Yeah. And, and to and to guide um the process so the creative process you know i have an idea in my mind of of how i would look how i would like something to look and the opportunity to work alongside or use this tool to help me refine that and get it exactly Mm -hmm. how i would like it um when otherwise i might not have some of the skills um is really powerful it is and and as you you've touched on you know reducing returns which you know for e-com which is the way forward you know huge huge scale coming on in in e-commerce being able to actually accurately simulate something is going to be just going to reduce returns whether it's you know whether it's a t-shirt or a sofa or 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 as we spoke about before a mug really yeah how would how would that sofa look like in your house exactly right gonna fit yeah right those things we can help with be help with technology yeah, and, and we, we've seen this in some with some um, vendors doing this as well. The idea that you take a picture of your living room and um, the sofa can be shown to you in your living room. You know, that's also where some of this AI technology comes in as well, right? The idea yeah. that that photograph that you took had light coming in a window, right? Yes. Uh, you have these other electric lights in your room which are casting shadows for the rest of the room. I can't just take some clip art of a photo oh sorry some clip art of a sofa and drop it into that uh photo that i had taken because it's going to be it's going to stand out it's not going to look like a sofa in my my house it looks like a clip art of a of a sofa sat in front of this picture that i took yeah but so- and and no designer is going to go and make you know fix that up but with some of the ai technologies that we have that can look examine the um the scene 
and make adjustments to how that thing should how the clip art of the sofa should be modified to mm. to show how how it would cast a shadow to to show how the lighting in your house would il- would illuminate that particular piece of furniture that actually then helps people make buying decisions and that's really important. that's really powerful yeah absolutely and then i guess i guess ultimately to try and take that vision to meet the expectation from design all the way through production by seamlessly integrating all of the technologies in a manufacturing workflow as closely together as we possibly can, I think, really, to make sure that what input matches output ultimately, first time. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a big ask. There's a lot of technology, a lot of development going on under the hood to create all of that. But that is, would you agree, the industry's goal, Mike? Oh, Totally. Yeah, without without a doubt, it's about making sure that um, we're not surprising the customer that we deliver them what they have asked for, what they've ordered, um, and and I think it allows you know e-commerce. You know, we can talk about how that's affected the high street, and um, it's transformative in the same way that the high street was affected by the big box stores. Right now, mm-hmm. pe- people are buying things online, but I think it's apart from just a, a different way of shopping, I, c- I am a lot more informed now. I am capable of being a lot more informed as a consumer about what I'm buying, you know, yeah. where it came from, how it was manufactured, it's sustainable, et cetera. But also, am I going to like it when I get it home? Mm-hmm. Right? Am I going to like it when I'm wearing it? Um, that's, you know, we're a lot more informed, I think, now as shoppers, wherever we happen to be doing it. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, hopefully um, that's helping us, you know, have a have a good experience from from that. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, it also takes the cost out of meeting those expectations to a certain extent, doesn't it? Because if you're auto generating image renders and visuals of products for purchase in an e-commerce environment, ultimately, you're not having to make it. You're not having to sample it. You're not having to make it. You're not having to photo- photograph it and all of those things. Everything's in real time. There is huge there is huge value in that, I think. Really. Huge yeah. savings, huge, huge savings for, for the waste streams further on. Okay, Mike, let's let's deep dive into some of those technologies then. You know, we've we've spoken about how we need to meet customers' expectations. And in the textile and in the print space, we have to do that throughout the print workflow now to kind of just connect all of those dots again and bring it all together. Could you give us your ideas on um, taking a design from a pattern from design all the way through production so that we do meet those expectations? What's, what do we actually need to do to it? And what are the really important key points for the future that we have to try to achieve? Yeah, the important thing here, I think, Debbie, is um, having that single source of truth, mm-hmm. all right? Using the same content, the same information at different points in the workflow. Um, and and there's there's two there's a fork in the road very often right where where I think we need to bring things together. Mm-hmm. There's the we talked about the digital twin, all right? Yep. And very often, particularly in e-commerce workflows or even in design workflows, there's the design that we are looking at on a screen, right? A simulation of what the final product will look like. 
right? And we start with our with our design, and we put that through some transformations, from some clever screen on screen manipulation. Mm-hmm. You know, we wrap that design around a mug or around a garment, and we show somebody what it could look like. Okay, yeah. And then we have so we have that on screen representation. But then we have the manufacturing workflow. And the manufacturing workflow that it takes to convert that design into something that can be manufactured is quite different. So the process of taking um, a design and imposing it in the correct way on the pattern pieces, let's take a a Mm -hmm. sports jersey example, you know, we have to break up that design and we have to put it on the pattern pieces. So when that fabric is has been printed, we can cut it up, we can sew it together, and that the final product will look like what we saw on the screen. Okay. Yes. The the important thing which basically enables that to my mind is having using the same content, using the same information for both of those quite different data processing workflows, right? Yeah. That we're using the same image to create that on-screen representation of what the final product will look like as we are using in a manufacturing process to actually do the manufacturing. We don't want like one team creating one thing and a different team creating the other with different information or having big transformations. Yeah. It needs to be the same file. It needs to be. And by st- that's kind of – you put the nail on the head there, uh, Debbie. By using the same information, by using the same file and going down both these paths, we can be assured that we're getting the same – we can get the same result. We've advocated, I've advocated over the last few years, that PDF is a great container for that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, the design tools can create PDF files. These PDF files can be manipulated for on-screen representations. And PDF is a great print file format for the production and manufacturing processes. We can apply color management. We can apply the right um, imposition relative to patent pieces, etc., and use that same information in a PDF file and get the same result. And it, and we've done this for years in, in manufacturing, you know, printing a PDF file on different substrates with different colorants um, to get consistent results. You know, these, these, are, these are skills that we have built up over many years. Mm-hmm. But, but by having that same single source of truth so that the, the visualization uh, path is collaborated well with the um, – and synchronize well with the manufacturing path. That's what gives us the most reliable results. Absolutely, absolutely. And color management couldn't be more important in the print workflow, could it? Absolutely. Color management is all important, and uh, it's overlooked in some cases. It, it, and it means different things to different people, right? We have exp- When we talk about having an expert in color in a fashion house, and I've visited color departments in fashion houses, very often we're talking about defining a very specific colorway or set of colors that are going to look the same preferably on any type of garment Mm -hmm. right on any type of when we're produced with any type of fabric yeah color management to the printing industry is something subtly different it's normally about the process of taking an image a photograph or something or a document and uh printing that on a particular substrate like i said with a particular technology uh, with a particular ink set or color set, and getting something that matches the customer's expectations. These are fundamentally, but yes, these are the same things. But very often we look at it from different ends of the same telescope. Um, what's important is that when we're defining colors as de- designers, we're explicit about what we mean. All right, 
we define a color and can attach some sort of information to that um, in the files. It could well be a definition in terms of um, a QTX file in the case of textiles, or maybe an LAB color, which is very standard way of defining colors which are unambiguous. In manufacturing, we're going to convert that to whatever the printing process requires. Maybe it's using CMYK. Maybe we're dyeing specific or dipping specific colors or generating specific colors that we're going to use in our colorway. But being precise at all points of the workflow about what we mean by a color is important. Mm -hmm. In the textile space, very often, we, we kind of fall into two camps. And sometimes we, we work in terms of a colorway so that it's literally just a matter of taking a color for which a designer has used and doing the digital or analog printing version to reproduce that color. In other places, we find designers are very often using RGB colors and leaving it to the manufacturing process to reproduce those colors accurately. And that's absolutely fine. I have no problem philosophically with that whatsoever. As long as when we define a color in terms of RGB in our design tools, we say what color space uh, we're referring to. Right? And you'll see this in your Adobe tools, for example. You can look at what color space is assigned to your document. It could be Adobe RGB. It could be sRGB. It could be some other color space. I'm, I'm not too fussy about that. But sp- being explicit about what our expectations are gives our manufacturing teams a chance of being able to reproduce those colors at the manufacturing stage. And that's really what the what's going on under the hood when it comes to color management that we support in our uh, Adobe RIP products that our partners build into their solutions when they're driving printers. It's about the science of converting those on-screen colors accurately and faithfully to the the colors as it's going to be manufactured. And there's there's magic and science going on in that conversion process whether you're taking it from uh one of our our rip partners be it fiery or colorgate or onyx or caldera or one of the others whether you're buying a solution from one of our printer manufacturer partners like an epson or a cornet you know what they're doing there is they're mapping those precise color definitions into something which is going to give you a faithful reproduction on with their color set or the yeah. color set that you're using and on the fabric that you're using because you'll want to use a different treatment if you're going to a um, a natural or a man-made fiber or if you're using a different uh, technology, be it direct-to-garment or a direct-to-film or you're going directly to the fabric or you're going to go a sublimation process via a paper, whatever the process, they all need calibrating and tuning to make sure that the final result is going to match your expectations. Absolutely. And I guess it's making the designer at the very beginning work within the output space, the output color space, what's possible, not necessarily yes. what you want to achieve. You yes. Know, you have to manage your expectations and yeah, do. Yes, absolutely. And this is where the visualization thing becomes really mm. important, Debbie, right? You know, it's absolutely true that all RGB colors, for example, let's say we're going that path, particularly Adobe RGB colors, they're not all printable. Um, you know, the RGB colors work on shining lights in your eyes, right? Yes. At, at its at its heart, your printed colors are basically relying on uh, lighting, be it the sun, be it the lights in your house or your or your office or at your party, reflecting off your fabric and bouncing off and shining in your eyes. And there's a 
that's the simplified version, but they means mm-hmm. these colors are reproduced in different ways. Yeah. The visualization is important that we talked about earlier because that's what gives the designer a an understanding of how the final product will look when it's made manufactured, when it's been seen in some sort of environment. So the better the visualization aspect of this workflow is, particularly if the visualization is based off those production files, to show the designer what they're going to get. Maybe that bright yellow isn't going to appear bright yellow, maybe slightly mustard, but you need to know that that's what's going to happen so that you don't get disappointed later on with this thing that you've ordered doesn't match what you saw on your screen. It's not sufficient just to look at, you know, the colors in your design program. You need to go through that visualization step to get that good understanding of what the final product is going to look like. Absolutely. And without that collaboration with all of those print partners in the past, we couldn't achieve that. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It was it was fire and forget and cross your fingers. And that's why we had to do strike offs. You know, that's yes. that's why it was a black box. We've we put a request over the wall. We see what comes back. We see if we like it or not. And if we don't like it, we then have to try and describe what it was that we don't like about it, hopefully, in a way that has to fix it. Yeah. Fortunately, with technology now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, with technology now, we've got better ways of communicating this up front. So hopefully we, we take yeah. some of the wrinkles out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, def- we're definitely getting there. Well, we've got there in many instances. Um, yeah, it's incredible progress in a very short space of time, actually, over the last few years. Mike, that kind of leads us nicely onto our last question, actually. You know, What's on the radar for manufacturing technologies in the design community? You had a wish list or what, what, what insights could you give us for the year ahead? I think we're going to see even more change in the year ahead. And, I, mm-hmm. and I, where I really see it is likely in the, the empowering of the customer, you know, blur, yes. rather than having to have bespoke, sorry, rather than having to just buy the same thing as everybody else is buying, all right, or risking showing up at the same party and the same thing that everybody else is wearing, I see more choice, more selections enabled by the manufacturing on demand that we're able to do now. Um, it's no more expensive to print one shirt than it is to print 100 because there's no there's less setup cost with digital technology. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to be liberating. So I think that, that explosion in ability to choose what we want and only order what we need coupled with i think the democratization of the design process itself right yeah i don't have to be really really skilled in order to create a design the the software for design is going to allow us to create stuff um, and create designs ever more easily now it doesn't mean that designers are going to go to the to the side of the street i don't believe that for a second because um, the fact I can design and I can design my own shirt probably doesn't mean I should be. It's not necessarily <laughs> going to be pleasing. Is it um, safe? Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I might not like it. I might think I'm fantastic. But much as, you know, when our, our toddler comes home from kindergarten and we everything we like, we pin to the uh, refrigerator door, um, you know, my design chops are slightly higher than a toddler, but not that much higher, right? <laughs> Just because it looks good on the screen doesn't mean I actually would want to be seen out in the street wearing it. Yeah. So I think this definitely is a role for the designer, but to allow the the user to customize, be it from, from templates or from you know, choosing a color palette or refining a color palette and applying their own, you know, choices to a design, that's where I think I see a lot of uh, a lot of revolution in the years ahead. Great. 
Great. At the end of the silo, I suppose, because we're all becoming so connected. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciated. It's such a busy end to the year. Look forward to seeing you next year and catching up again. Absolutely. Yes, 2024 is going to be a very interesting year, I'm sure. It is indeed for everybody out there. Yeah, keep listening. Thank you, Mike. See you soon. All right, take care. Bye-bye.